I'm Michael Laurie, and you're listening to the Ulster Rugby Roundup. Hello again, and welcome to another week of the Ulster Rugby Roundup. What a weekend it was, as Ulster finally got some knockout rugby to look forward to. We'll discuss that thrilling single point victory in Leicester, the European quarter final draw, and of course, Ian Henderson's latest injury. We look at the return to Pro 14 cards this weekend as Bennett and Rugby from Treviso visit and we'll take a look at the club action. First up then, Leicester 13, Ulster 14. There's eyebrows raised, what have I said? Are you just not going to introduce us? <laughs> oh yeah. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. We've had, a, we've had a set formula this whole time and no, you've just breezed straight past it. Yeah, I don't know, I've just, I, I forgot to put that in my intro, I'm sorry. There's always room to change and always room to evolve, Gareth, so don't take this guff if you want to change things. Yeah, but you, sh- you should introduce yourselves, we'll change it that way. Tell us a little bit about yourselves. <laughs> I'm not doing that. This is Jonathan Bradley. He's miserable. Hello, how's it going? And this is Adam McKendrick. He's not quite, no, not quite so miserable. I'll take that. <laughs> First up, then, oh, Leicester thirteen. I thought it said something wrong, so I'm a little bit relieved that none of my, my things I said were actually factually incorrect. Oh, Leicester thirteen, Ulster fourteen. Ulster got through without the need of a favour from elsewhere, but Jonathan, that it did look some way off with half an hour of the match to go and thirteen nil down. I think if you look at where the wheels have really come off in games for Ulster this season. You've got the Munster game, the Leinster game. I wouldn't put the Rassing away game into that category. And the Connacht home game. Most of those have come with under-strength teams. So with a full-strength team, minus John Cooney um, on the bench for Shannon. Um, that is as bad as Ulster have been by some distance with that team out because in Europe we've seen some really, really good performances from them. Um, obviously to get out of that pool they've had to put in some really, really good performances but what we hadn't really seen was really 40 to 50 minutes of rugby that was that bad. Um, they were just so loose really. Um, I think an awful lot of people are focusing on Shanahan coming off and Cooney coming on, but it was really the work around the breakdown, the work around the ruck. They were just so loose, so careless with the ball. And it really stopped you getting any momentum in the game because you couldn't get a foothold. And then, yeah, as you say, they obviously pulled it out um, with the last half hour when they needed it, or as it turned out, didn't need it. But <laughs> yeah, Leicester very clearly targeted the breakdown very mm-hmm. early, and I don't know if mm-hmm. it was maybe a little bit of complacency from Ulster because they have improved at the breakdown. They were so poor to start the season, and they have gotten a lot better. But Leicester really uh, were making a lot of inroads at the breakdown, and it was quite concerning. But <clears throat> as Johnny said, Ulster were extremely poor. It is the worst first half they've had all season with that uh, with their full strength team out there. And if Leicester were a bit more clinical, then the game could have been beyond them by halftime because they spurned so many opportunities in that first half. And give a bit of credit to the Ulster defence for, you know, I, I thought they scrambled very well on a few occasions and they forced a few errors. But at the same time, the Tigers were so wasteful whenever they got into the red zone. You guys were over there, I'm sure, at halftime amongst the um, esteemed press. There was a little optimism that uh, Ulster w- would get the win. Well, amongst the esteemed press, it was all just trying to work out how you were going to fill the 800 words because that first <laughs> half was uh, was dire. Very little happened in it. 
Um, even worse, from a match report perspective, um, the first 38 minutes when literally nothing happened um, <laughs> until Leicester yeah. got that try just before half-time. I um, sat down in the pub like, literally just as that move was starting, so relieving to know that I literally didn't miss anything. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, because a few of the guys had had the dog in. It's a very tight uh, tight press row in uh, Leicester, so a few of the guys had had the duck out to get a space in the room inside before half-time, so didn't even see the try. And it was <laughs> um, when the game was that bad for the first stuff, you certainly wanted to see the try, but... Like rugby can be quite complex in terms of diagnosis of what's going wrong yeah. for a team, but I can't really remember a sort of fifty minutes where it was so obvious what like what was going so badly wrong. I, it was almost like it was a singular issue. Like um, the stats that the PCR send send out afterwards had them at losing seven rocks. Now it's not wholly unusual to see a team lose one ruck in those stats mm-hmm. like four or five would be a bad day at the office but seven yeah um seven is a huge number and then that really did tighten up obviously i think that was i would guess that was dan's focus at half time and then took a little it still took a little bit for also to click into gear in that second half because um, you saw uh, even the mall like they lost the mall after Andy Ward came on won a big and then they also scrum won a big penalty um, they kicked to the corner and they lose it in the mall and it, at that point you really are starting to think this is like Wasps mm-hmm. last season for them to come back I think as bad as the first half was for them to come back in Welford Road um, bad weather conditions, high stakes for them. Has you have to note that as well, obviously, especially mm-hmm. because as part of a wider trend, we've seen them show more resilience than in the past. Mm. When you're thinking back to the games against Edinburgh, the win over Scarlets, the draw against Cheetahs, um, they've done well late in games, and especially when you're considering the doing well late to this week meant. You know, Rory Bass going 80, Herring on at flanker. Um, Reedy out, Katia out. Uh, Burns gone. You know, you had, to, uh, you had to overcome quite a lot in that game, which they did. Mm-hmm. And I suppose just in a wider sense of what it means for the team, you're really looking at it. It'll, it'll feel a lot different having earned it on the pitch than if they had it been... Well, they probably wouldn't even have seen it because I think they would have been flying back during the Monster game yeah. or at the very least in the airport. So you would have had that sort of awkward waiting around. Whereas it's always different. An achievement on the pitch always feels different. The, the yeah. celebration always feels different. The um, satisfaction of it always feels different. So I think it, it'll have been a big... Um, I don't know, Jimmy Vardy and the boys really seemed to enjoy the party <laughs> of his house that night they won the, the league. Why? Why would you possibly bring that up? My hotel was actually right outside, um, right outside King Power. So I sent like my family a text and uh, a WhatsApp of where my hotel like window looked out on the King Power Stadium, just being like, I'm still not ready to accept that that actually happened. <laughs> but 
Yeah, we're getting off the top, okay? Yeah, sorry, it's my fault Ul- again. Ulster know how to win. I think that's mm-hmm. one of the main things that we've learned from this team. Like they, in the tight games this year, they've always come out on top, and yeah. that that's something that's different to last year because last year you you could have easily seen them falling behind again once they went ahead, uh, but I think once Ulster went ahead, there was almost that sense of they've got this now, and I know. That wasn't the case, you know, Leicester could have easily come back and stolen that, but there's at least the feeling of, okay, Ulster can hold on and they can see it out. Interestingly, in the breakdown, and I know this isn't a, it wasn't a tactical sub, but I thought Timoney, whenever he came on, helped the breakdown. I think he has, uh, I think he just seemed to have that little bit more of a breakdown presence than Kutsia seemed to have on the day. I don't know, I don't know why, but it just seemed to be the case. We all know Adam hates Kutsia. <laughs> I do not hate Kutsia. All right. Don't, don't make me have to defend myself against Kutsia again. The, if it was easy to pinpoint what exactly was going wrong for Ulster for uh, the first while, um, what went right then or how did they turn that round? I mean, if you look at sort of the breakdown of when things happened, it was John Cooney and Andy Warwick came on and almost immediately by the, the look of things, things got better. It, it can't be just as simple as that, I'm sure, though. Like I think, uh, I think what I think Andy Warwick actually, um, Andy Warwick did really well when he came on, um, and I think that'll maybe not have surprised people, but like Andy Warwick has definitively lost out in that battle for the number one jersey at present. Things can change pretty quickly, but like he's clearly lost ground, Eric O'Sullivan, but he came on and he did really, really well. And John Cooney, because I've I've been talking about this with a few different people, and I think it sounds like. Um, discrediting the contribution of Cooney, which I'm not doing because he's obviously one of Ulster's best players, and he came on and he, the team looked more assured. But I just don't think that, like, I don't think they, if Ulster had played as they played in the first 50 minutes with John Cooney as scrum half rather than Dave Shannon, I don't think it would have been a difference either. Like Dave Shannon, I think will get the fairly unfair rap out of that performance. Me and Adam are talking about it over there. It's a bit like um, the ONI game a few years ago where like the team collectively malfunctions and then changes are made. They come back to win and it's like automatically some of that shouldering uh, of the blame almost feels like it goes towards the players that came off rather than the fact that the team improved immeasurably mm-hmm. in, a, in a regard of the game that didn't have anything to do with Shannon. The first try, then Adam Marty Moore went over it. Uh, I think I could have scored that from his position, but um, it was good work uh, by the pack there. Ian Henderson and, and Rory Best just seemed to be particularly influential in that little move. That was a very bold claim there. You could have scored that. I absolutely <laughs> could have. There's no doubt. No um, doubt in my mind. Yeah, I think yeah. I could have scored Robert Balakoon's try too. I'm a real speed <laughs> demon. Like, I could have got onto the post, no bother. But see, this is the thing. Would you have had the foresight to go onto the post or would you have just got to the corner? Yeah, that's, I just got excited. Yeah, like, <laughs> no, not, not got excited, but it's something that's almost gone out of the game. We're not talking about that try yet. Sorry. We'll do that in a minute. Also, Gareth got excited when I'm dead, probably. <laughs> um, <laughs> just kept going like <laughs> <Yeah>. Forrest <laughs> Get someone behind the try line holding a stop sign. Um, <laughs> no, well, I um, remember to put the ball down at about yeah. <laughs> Ian Henderson was immense. For someone who came back, what was it, four weeks early 
from uh, having thumb surgery to come back into that game and be so influential. He was carrying everywhere. He was Ulster's third highest tackler on the day. Um, it was the performance that you needed from him and coming back in like after that Scarlet, the two Scarlet's games where he was so big for Ulster um, to put in another performance like that was incredible and the fact that um, the fact that he, he was you know that, that that's the performance that you need from your big players in the big games um, I thought he was just at the centre of everything that Ulster did that was good um, it's a good point that because I think Ulster have really got that this year Mm. Like when you look at the European games, yeah, their big players have stepped up, and mm-hmm. that that can be the difference. You know, whenever your big players um, are, are the difference makers, that's where you get that extra bit of quality that maybe Ulster were lacking last year and meant they didn't get over the line, but they have got this year. And it means they have now reached the knockouts. Um, but it, the try was just the the mall has been going so well this year, and they just backed themselves and against a side who are so physical and so good in the pack as Leicester are. Now, they're not the same pack that they have been in previous years, don't get me wrong, but they're still a side who are renowned for their physicality and for the way they play, uh, sort of their pack mentality. Ulster went toe-to-toe with them, and besides one scrum penalty against, which you could say they rectified by winning a scrum penalty later in the game, they were 50-50 with Leicester and then proceeded to maul over the top of them while stopping Leicester's own maul. And the fact that they can now do that against a side as good in the forwards as Leicester just shows how far this pack has come and how much credit you know the, the pack as a group should get and Aaron Dundon as the set-piece coach should get for what they've done. Because the maul, we, we've talked about this before, the maul is now a very potent weapon. It's not just something that also used to set up like backs moves. They use it to score tries. They use it to cause havoc in other teams' defences. It's it's one of their strongest assets right now, which is something that we never thought we'd be saying about this Ulster team at the start of the season. And that's that's massive. Marty Murray's the one who scores from it this time, but you know there, there have been so many guys who have benefited from it in terms of scoring. And if they can keep doing this, then you would back them a lot of times out of 10 to kick it to the corner and score. The problem is the, the line-out didn't really function that well uh, on Saturday, and you have to have that going as well to ensure that you're getting the maximum return from your mall. But I think if, if you got those two aspects working on any given day, it's a huge way for Ulster to get momentum and to get points on the board. And fair play to Ulster for continuing to go for the line-out. Just in the pub, we were all just sort of like, mm, all right. <laughs> well, well, you know what? It was a very brave call because at least two of the penalties were, you know, gimmies for kickers of um, Bur- or Cooney and even Addison whenever he was on, you would back both of them to slot it 10 times out of 10. But they still went for the corner. You know, they trusted mm-hmm. that their mall would get it done and they trusted that this was the better way of getting more points on the board. It, it could have backfired. I definitely, big time. definitely would not have done it. No, I would have. I would have. I was like, you only need to lose by seven. And yeah, exactly. to the post. Yeah. You know what? But in many ways, that says a lot about this Ulster team that they don't yeah. want to. They don't like. You're exactly right. They could have kicked the points. That would have put them within a penalty of 
qualifying for the knockouts. And they could have gone, that's all we need, that's all we want. Especially that's when you haven't scored any points yeah. to date. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. But instead, they go for the corner, they back themselves to get the tries, they back themselves to get the points on the board, and they got it. I th- it's, it's a very much winning mentality that they have. Now, they're not winning every week, but they've got themselves into the mentality of we feel like these games are here for the taking, so we're going to take them. I think it's an Ireland thing that's sort of trickled down. Because I think, obviously, Rory Best is the common factor in making mm-hmm. decisions. But Rory Best loves to go for the corner. Mm-hmm. And that's really been the case, I think, since probably since Soldier Field, when I think there was that sort of appreciation that to beat the very best teams three points often isn't good enough and you saw that mm-hmm. against the, when Ireland beat the All Blacks and it's something that we've seen Ulster do an awful lot since and that's why some people were quite surprised to see them not do it against Racing obviously with Rory off the pitch at the time See it's interesting because any any time that uh, you talk to Rory about why do you make the decision to go to the corner you know why did you go to the corner instead of kicking the points he always says it's a feeling on the pitch you always sort of come together as a pack and you say do we feel like we can go over mm. we can get a try as opposed to a penalty if we go to yeah. the corner here um, so Rory's that's, a very polite way of saying I understand these things and you guys don't <laughs> yeah, saying, yeah. you got to be on the pitch to have that feeling but it's interesting that Nine times out of ten these days, it seems like Ulster are very much, yeah, we can score a try, let's yeah. go to the corner. It's like whenever I'm in the golf course and I just have a feeling I'm going to be able to pull off these adventurous shots that I go for <laughs> and then head it straight into the trees. But that's uh, that's different. Um, the second try then, uh, oh, well, mm, yeah, I'm humming and hanging over my order here. We'll stick with Ian Henderson for now. He was mentioned. So his injury, it just Ulster just said that he was going to be out for several weeks. We assume he missed uh, Ireland's games against England and Scotland. Can we expect him then to get uh, a little comeback game for Ulster before he plays any Six Nations stuff? Or will we still not see him until after after the tournament? It very much depends on what Joe Schmidt wants to do. Normally, what we've seen Joe do, especially when it comes in the middle of the Six Nations, is rotate to a degree as much as you can rotate in the Six Nations for that Italy game. So... There's a real chance that he might want to give James Ryan and Devin Toner, especially, we don't know how long Burns is going to be out for, but he's out for those first two games as well. Um, so they're really, they're not the presumptive lock pairing anymore. They are the lock mm-hmm. pairing, and you're really fighting between Quinn Rue and Alden Delan for the backup role. Mm-hmm. So I would suspect that if he wants to give James Ryan, or possibly more likely Devin Toner, a rest then that would be more important than whether Henderson has had a match mm-hmm. for Ulster or not because that, you know, as much as we talk about Henderson and he did it again, like whenever um got a text here on Friday morning saying that he was going to be named in the team, it was like, really? Not sure about that. Um, and then obviously like checked it out a bit and it turned out to be the case. Yeah. Um, but you're, st- <laughs> you're still... Uh, Skeptical about his um, powers of recovery, even though we've seen it time and time again. You would think that Ospreys game, which is only what three weeks away, mm-hmm. might come a little bit too soon yeah. to get a game in. Well, you never know. I still think he might play this weekend. 
The injury is horrendously timed, though. With Byrne going down, this was the perfect opportunity for Henderson to step straight back in, especially after that performance on Saturday, um, because I think he's, he's put himself right back in the mix to, to even start against England after that performance, and obviously now he's going to miss that. Mm. And especially whenever you've got the World Cup coming up in the summer, you want to make the most of every opportunity to impress and make sure you've nailed down that seat on the plane because I, I think he will go. I don't think there's too many questions about that. I think he's very important to what yeah. Joe Schmidt wants to do. But at the same time you never want to leave anything to chance, especially mm-hmm. whenever you know you've only got a limited number that you can or that you can take to the World Cup. You know, you want to make sure that you've nailed down your seat. So that this would have been a great opportunity with Tagburn missing. You're guaranteed at least a spot on the bench, probably a uh, spot in the starting team uh, it's the perfect opportunity to re-establish yourself in that first team again just imagine Joe Schmidt like watching the games over the weekend being like <laughs> Ian Henderson man back back early man of the match for Ulster great stuff Tag Byrne man of the match for Munster great stuff and then the injury <laughs> thing comes through and it's just you cannot be serious because <laughs> like the Ireland injury profile has been very healthy yeah. relative to other teams coming into this tournament because you had Henshaw coming back earlier than expected. You had Sean O'Brien coming back at the weekend. Yeah. Henderson coming back. O'Mahony's injury, not even keeping him out of a game. Uh, your only issue is at scrum half, really, where you've lost a couple. But uh, it's a big loss. Big loss to have both of them going out at the same time. Uh, um, just to confirm, the injury was nothing to do with the... The, the thumb surgery and everything? No, it was the fingers that he injured in the World Cup in 2015. All right. At which time he also came out and did post-match like he did after this game without thinking that anything's wrong. He might just be like... He, he may well be a freak of nature. But quite possibly. Yeah, that's exactly the phrase I used. He maybe just doesn't feel pain like normal <laughs> yeah. people do because he was just chatting away normally doing the post-matches and he had them bandaged and he was asking, I was just like, oh, yeah, it just flares up every now and again. You know, it's been since since 2015. <laughs> it's like, no, <laughs> it, you might actually need surgery. <laughs> well, for over half the match in Leicester, Ulster fans will have been fearing a repeat of last season, but Ian Henderson explained us after the game that it always felt a little bit different this time around. You know, the composure of the guys, you know, we looked around and guys' heads weren't down, they weren't kind of... In the Wasp game last year, I kind of felt like guys didn't really want to be there. It was a it was a dirty old day, um, away from home, um, kind of relying on a few things to go our way, hoping that we play well. Whereas out there, I felt like we were um, concentrated and doing our job rather than kind of just hoping someone else would step up and do, for, do it for us or hoping someone will make a line break. It's guys going out and taking the opportunities that are there for them. I think it was the, just before the Edinburgh game last season. Um, we kind of, I, that was, I, in, in my head, that was a real turning point for us. It was kind of one thing that Rory had went out and, and said is like every game we play, we review it and look to get better because we have yet to play and probably never will play a perfect game of rugby. But we can just all we can do is strive to get there. And, and if, after in there, Rory sent us, look, it was a good game, good to come over here and get the win, but by no means was it a perfect performance, and we've got to work on that. We've got big games coming up in the league, um, and, and beyond that, like hopefully we can we can push ourselves for a playoff in the league, but it'll be good to be competing on both fronts. Um, the second try then, I had threatened to talk about it earlier, but here we go. Robert Balakoon, my now official favourite Ulster player. I mean, I had flirted with Johnny McPhillips for a little while, 
but no, Sir Balakin, <laughs> it's not going to sit, not literally further than I've never spoken. But we need no, to keep you away from Cat's Fan Stadium. Johnny's a nice Balakin. guy. I mean, you might. I'm trying. I'm just trying to gloss over that, but you, you're really not letting that happen, are you? Um, <laughs> Robert Balakin, what a performance in in that second half. First of all, the the try. Um, I do that I could have done it, but really, like his, his pace was just uh, astounding, really, and. The tip from Billy Burns was pretty nice too. Billy, Billy Burns really is, um, in terms of what he brings to the attack, those measured, short, dinked kicks, if you like, are really a very strong part of his arsenal. But I feel um, like instead of passing the ball, he should just kick yeah, it out to Stuart yeah. every time, you know. Yeah. Just no we, passes. Just we we <laughs> sort of drop kicks out to, uh, out to McCluskey when he turns could, around. Could you imagine a stat line at the end? You know, two runs, five passes. <laughs> 110 kicks or something. <laughs> I think like the thing about the he thing about it was is, like <laughs> the kick was so good that I think if Balakut hadn't scored, then I think Ludic would have. Yeah, um, he was waiting. I like, yeah. couldn't see who it was. was waiting, but but the thing that impressed me with Balakut was the appreciation of the score and the fact that and obviously the pace because if he wasn't as quick as he was, he still would have scored, but he wouldn't have been able to get underneath the posts, mm. which made the conversion. A gimme, and at the end of the day, it's the conversion that won the game rather yeah. than the try. Cooney had already converted one from the touchline; he could have done it again. Cooney's <laughs> like Cooney's first conversion was really, really impressive. Yeah, yeah, was. yeah, impressively done, having not been on that long, yeah, and having missed uh, missed the week before with a bad back. But that golf book he's reading just heads in the right place <laughs> at any time. I, I thought Cooney was your favorite because he because uh, he, he reads golf books. books. Um, <laughs> As, as well as he's that, too <laughs> he's, he's too popular. Yeah. As well as that, the tackle on Bateman because um, yeah, I was going to bring like, that up. That was class. I'd uh, I'd highlighted Bateman in my match preview about this rampaging loose mm-hmm. head, and then he didn't really do anything <laughs> for a long yeah. while, and then came onto the ball. He burns past. I think it's, it's Jordy. Jordy Murphy, yeah. And then Balakin comes from nowhere, and that's been the most impressive mm-hmm. thing from Balakin because in pre-season and in the early parts of the season, it certainly looked like Kernahan was the young winger that was going to um, make huge strides in the opening part of the season. But what Balakin has come and done since he's been brought in is he looks like a... Champions Cup quality or certainly a Pro 14 quality defender, which is what yeah. is which is what's normally lacking, especially mm-hmm. from guys that are that quick, because they don't normally. And maybe it comes from not playing in as good teams. You know, sometimes if a guy comes through a really really good schools team, they haven't had to learn how to defend because they don't do it that often. Mm-hmm. Whereas the background the Balakins coming from from playing sevens. From playing for Enniskillen, um, even from playing from a school that hasn't done as well, you know, it looks like he's really learned how to defend. I think it's very much a sevens thing because in sevens, if you miss a tackle, most guys are fast enough that they score. So there's no room for error. You have to make the tackle or you give up a try. So I think that's one thing that you take over to sevens a lot more than maybe the attack because in defence you're relied on so much to make your one-up tackles or you've really let the team down whereas in attack you've got so much more space to work in in sevens that it's quite hard to translate that into uh, the 15s 
I, I completely agree. Balakin's defence, for me, has been uh, the stronger part of his game and now allied to the fact that he's actually getting over the line as well, which I think it... I said it last week, you know, it's just one of those things where you can make one break and that could be the different. That could suddenly just spark that offensive flare in you and you can start scoring tries for fun. I think it's also good that you do have that that mix. And I said this last week, but you have Stockdale on one wing and Balakun on the other. Stockdale is still not the world's greatest defender. I'm not saying his defence is bad because he's improved dra- dramatically from where he started from. She like she, she's your amount of stuff with Andy Farrell and Jared and things. Yeah, exactly. But... Just when you mentioned Jacob, while I remember breaking ankles like that, that move on Johnny May was that was filth. Absolutely, I mean, filth. it it really was, and it was it's it's so funny to watch because after Stockdale sits him down or well, not sits him down but makes him fall over, um, he sidesteps him and goes round him, and he's got a massive grin yeah. on his face. And it's just like this guy just loves playing rugby. He just loves what he's doing. Johnny um, May is the third best winger in. The Six Nations. In the top four. And uh, yeah, Stockdale's doing that. It's not fair. <laughs> it was very it, it was just brilliant. But have, having Stockdale on one wing, who's so good offensively, um, he's po- probably the world's best winger in terms of offensive capabilities. And Balakun on the other wing, who's so solid defensively. Even the, the possibility that you could switch those two around during a game, depending on... How the, how the game's going, you know, how Stockdale's lining up against someone offensively, how Balakun's lining up against them defensively. You switch them around and you work things out. I think it's a really solid combo there on the wings, and especially with Ludic at fullback, who's, who's sort of an amalgamation of both. Didn't make any sense that they kept kicking the Ludic. I didn't really understand it. No, so Ludic's so solid at fullback. Like, kicked anybody else. Mm. It's Especially after Balakun. Balakun dropped the... And up and under very early, and then and then they didn't the other one forward. Yeah, and then and they didn't really target him for the rest of the game. Yeah, yeah. if I if I was Leicester, you would have been going to him every every single time like, with that high ball. Certainly, the kicking game in the first half was a large large part of why it didn't make a good spectacle because yeah. an awful lot of the kicking. I thought like I thought George Ford was probably, if not Leicester's best player, than one of Leicester's best players. But mm. some of the kicking. <laughs> from both sides I thought it was a bit aimless and well Ben Young's box kicking I thought was spot on for the most part I thought he was I thought his box kicking was very good I just thought it was it was strange an awful lot of the time and sometimes Ludic makes it look like that because he covers so much ground but it seemed like they were kicking down Ludic's throat an awful lot and then just before we leave him totally uh, Robert Balakun I mean I don't want to overhype him but like how how good can he be he certainly looks like international potential if you're that fast and you can defend, then you have a huge amount of potential because you can't teach someone to be that fast. Mm-hmm. And it's very, it's normally a long work in progress to teach somebody to defend. I'm not saying mm-hmm. he's ready to go and defend against the All Blacks, but for me, and I think Adam probably agrees, like the most striking thing about him since. He's come onto the Ulster scene, and because you have to remember, like the first time we saw this guy playing, it was in a Towns Cup final for Enniskillen about two years ago. Like that's the mm-hmm. that's the pace at which he's progressed through those ranks from junior rugby to Champions Cup, 
Um, but the most striking thing about him is being how comfortable he looks without the ball, mm-hmm. apart from when um, making tackles and kickoffs. <laughs> but the fact, the fact that it was, it's the Racing try that really gets me, the fact that he's he's put into space and nobody gets anywhere near him. Mm-hmm. And I still go back and say one him off was too narrow in his defence, but you give Balakun that little bit of space, he's gone. So, as Johnny says, you give someone with that much pace that amount of space, he's going to score for you. And that's that's the big thing. Wingers are needed to score tries and stop people going around the around the outside. There's really not much more you need your winger to do. Uh, let's let's not move on either without highlighting uh, Billy Burns' hilarious attempt at that tackle just after Balakun had, had made temp, uh, had, had made contact because I didn't notice at the time. I mean, fa- Billy Burns tweeted about it. To be fa- like, fair play to Burns for this. and you need to watch, if you haven't watched it while looking at Billy Burns, yeah. go back and watch the game because it's very funny. No, fair fair play to Burns for having the humour to tweet about <laughs> yeah. it afterwards and say that he mistimed it. He, he didn't miss time. But Balakun <laughs> just got to him first. But yeah. Um, yeah, no, Burns was coming across to make the cover tackle and Balakun just got to Bateman first. And, uh, yeah, watching it back to, to see what you've missed. No, because I... Th- but basically, Balakun tackles Bateman into Burns and Burns goes flying over the top yeah, of the pair yeah, of them. Yeah, but was Burns not... If Balakun did make the tackle, is, it not, is that not what the problem is? Balakun makes the tackle... Which then means he's not there for yeah. Burns to tackle. Yeah, so I didn't. Burns, just yeah. tackles Burns, yeah, Burns, just Burns is going to tackle Bateman, yeah. but Balakun gets to him first, and as a result, Balakun tackles Bateman into Burns, and Burns goes flying over the top of the parallel. Yeah, bit of a size, bit of a size difference. <laughs> Bateman may have dragged Burns with him. Man. It's worth a watch. So the quarterfinals then, it really couldn't have worked out much worse for Ulster. Leinster away. I mean, it saves money on travel for us, so <laughs> it couldn't have worked out better. Yeah. You could tell that Toulouse wanted no part of playing Leinster in Dublin when it was like they scored two tries. They're like, no, that'll do us, lads. Yeah. We're, uh, we're fine. We'll, we'll take the uh, the short trip to Racing. I wasn't able to watch the game, but it was watching them kicking penalties, and I'm just going, yeah, you really don't want to score yeah. four tries here. It was like it didn't matter whether they won or not. It not matter whether they get four tries and like yeah. posts. <laughs> even stuff. even stuff. Shameless. Even, even on the quarterfinals, or even for the quarterfinals' sake, to avoid having two repeat post stage quarterfinals, mm. um, it's so much better. That would have been an absolute disaster. Because there's three repeat quarterfinals in the Challenge Cup, and it looks horrible. So yeah. for it to happen in the Champions Cup again, I think would have. Uh, would have been even worse. You I think see. if it had to, if that had have happened, I think they would have almost had to have a revamp. Yeah, and been like, we need to go six pools or something because we can't, we just can't have this. Well, see, it's interesting because I yeah. saw someone making the point. Uh, I can't even remember now, but someone making the point on Twitter that instead of having you know first seeding as eighth seed, have your top four seeds get the home quarterfinals, and you get drawn against one of the. Uh, mm. remaining or one of the bottom four seeds yeah. so there is actually a draw as opposed to um, first seed versus eighth seed yeah. second versus Certainly seventh stop the likes of Toulouse being able to effectively <laughs> decide who they're going to play oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, if, the, if you look at the Leinster's home record this season they've won all nine games they've played at home they've scored more than 40 points in five of those and 
GOI sort of thing. And but that's the Aviva, that might be different. Turns out they've beaten Bath on Munster already at the Aviva and scored, I think, 30 and 40 points in those two games. So Yeah, uh, I haven't looked at the stats, actually. That's something that I should have done, and no doubt we'll have to, but I think their record at the Aviva is pretty, uh, pretty handy as well. I think they've only lost once to Claremont, I think it is. Um, but at the no, same yeah. time, with Ulster's performance in that pool, they weren't expected to get out of it. I mean, like, it would be a massive shock, obviously, if Ulster did win. But at the same time, stranger things have happened. Not many, but I'm sure there has been some. I think they will. You think they'll win? Aye. What? It's, Can I join isn't... you on whatever cloud you've just managed to find? Like, this, this, this isn't like you. What's going on? <laughs> I think um, <laughs> New Year, New John. <laughs> that's it. I've decided to be more positive. I actually did decide to be more positive, but it only lasted about two days. <laughs> but, um, explain this then. Because I think the fact that the quarterfinal is two weeks after the Six Nations, I think that the Six Nations is such a physically demanding and physically bruising tournament. The fact that Ireland finish with Wales which is always just a unbelievably draining and demanding fixture, especially away. And the fact that Leinster are going to have 10 boys playing in that game compared to Ulster, he might have two starters, three starters, maybe. Um, I just think that this uh, Six Nations is going to take such a physical toll on Leinster that I think Ulster have a much better chance of winning than they're presently being given credit for. No, I'm just gonna. Say, I'm just gonna say Leinster are gonna win. Le- Leinster are just better than Ulster, and while while it's a great achievement for Ulster to make the quarterfinals, and I think they've uh, defied all expectations and they've done incredibly well to get there, Leinster are just better than Ulster, and that, I I don't see any way Ulster are winning this unless they put in the performance of a lifetime. It would have. It would certainly have to be the performance of the season, but I think when Ulster have played their first choice 15 or 14 of their first choice 15 something similar then I think they've won four games out of four mm-hmm. and Leinster are beatable you know they lost a, they lost in to lose now fair enough it was away but um, it's possible like Leinster's Leinster in a competition like the Pro 14 where we see them whatever they are 20 points clear of Ulster where they can really show their depth, but at the end of the day, you can only put fifteen players on the pitch. I've, I've, I've no doubt I'll still be up for it. I have no doubt the away fans will travel in massive numbers. I think it's going to be an absolute. I, I think it's going to be an absolutely incredible day out at the Aviva, and I, I can't wait for it. But I just think Leinster are too strong for Ulster. I think they're going to get a home semi against Toulouse. 20 years on from 1999 it's going to do incredible things for book sales <laughs> we're all going to love it it's going to be wonderful I'm excited, I'm excited for your second book you're way too you, you started your first book with the record defeat and this one could just be like a, a, a perfectly perfect symmetry second edition I think we'd probably have to start you know if they were to win it this year we'd probably have to start book number two a little bit further a little bit further back with all last year's uh, chaos yeah, and true. catastrophe <laughs> but true. can you imagine writing a book about half of that yeah <laughs> <laughs> So, back to Pro 14 this weekend. We could call it Les Miserables. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
I'm, I'm disgusted at that pun. Sorry. <laughs> Maybe not the whole no. book. But sorry, How did that never make it? Certainly that chapter. I don't know. It's like well, I mean, last like Christmas that, was pretty good. Uh, last Christmas yeah. was great. It's but it's like whenever um, that Friends Schools Cup thing was going on um, a couple of years ago, and it was only after the whole thing had finished that somebody came up with Frexit which would have just been oh well proof we're doing this weekend um, yeah, seem, yeah I feel like we really need to doesn't seem quite as uh, I want a better word but it just doesn't seem quite as sexy as the last couple of weekends um, uh, it's, it's, but it's definitely not no, which no. is why you're feeling that way Rassing and all their superstars Benetton missing all their internationals. Benetton rugby from Treviso, which Johnny has advised me is the, the proper way to address them now. No, they're just Benetton rugby. No, like, I'm, I, anytime I mention that, will now be Benetton rugby from Treviso. Provenance uh, is important. Kick off at 7.35 on Friday evening. So Ulster sit, just to remind ourselves, Ulster are fifth in Pool B at the minute, but they're just two points behind Edinburgh in second, and then there's Benetton and and Scarlet's uh, in between so it's a four horse race for those two quarterfinal spots and then of course you've the European playoff place as well so it's a, it's a massive game while it doesn't feel very exciting as compared to the last couple of weeks it, it's massive it's absolutely massive like if they lose this they fall uh, six points behind Benetton at worst um, and Look, we talked about this last week. You look at those last three games of the season where uh, they play Glasgow, Edinburgh, and Leinster. They have to start creating a bit of uh, breathing space between themselves and the other teams in this conference. Otherwise, you're going to be needing points from those last three games, and none of them are guaranteed points. So it's it's vital that they win this week, and arguably this is more of an important win than uh, Saturday's was because the likelihood was they were getting in anyway. Yeah. So. Um, <clears throat> It's going to be tough because I think Benetton realised that they've got a real good chance of uh, actually doing something this year because they're in this dogfight and they do actually seem to have some semblance of a of a squad that can do something in the international windows as well as outside of them. So while, while yeah, you're right, it's, it's not a very attractive game on the outside looking at it and saying Ulster v Benetton, Rugby of Treviso, it's... Uh, it's not. It doesn't sound like a great game, but in the context of the season, especially right at the very start of the Six Nations, to start getting a bit of Pro 14 momentum going, I think it's very important that they win this. They've got to try and take what they've had over the last couple of weeks. And they've got to keep that going, uh, and they've got to keep it rolling in the Six Nations because this is the time where you set out your stall for the Champions Cup next year because if you don't get into the Champions Cup next year, then this year's quarterfinal run is, you know, worthless. You know, you'd rather get into the Champions Cup next year than go into the final this year and lose in the final or something like that, you know. Well, would you? Would you, though? Yeah. Don't know, are you a final? Sorry, what? Would you, rather, would you rather reach the European final this year and not make it into next year's European Cup or not make the final but get in next year again? I don't know. Sorry, from, sorry, from sorry. Do, you, do you make the final and lose? Or? Yeah, yeah. Oh, right, okay. Oh, no, if you, if, you made, if you made the final and won, then I obviously, you know, you'd you be in the Champions the Cup lose. next year and it doesn't matter. Does that not, does losing the final not get you into the Champions Cup? No. 
are we sure? Because was there not a whole big thing where we had to work this out last year and it took us forever and it hurt all of our heads, but was it not some sort of thing well, no, was where it, it, Claremont would have qualified for the Champions Cup had they got to the final, but then they went out in the semi-final, so it went to the league and then there was a whole big Yeah, two. but is, is it not because Leinster were already qualified for the uh, yeah. Champions yes. Cup sorry, through. Sorry, sorry, I, sorry, I'm assuming that... Who, but that's probably going to be the I'm case. I'm assuming that whomever else they're playing this hypothetical final. We're disappearing down a rabbit hole very quickly yeah. here. Um, but I'm, I'm, ju- I'm just saying how yeah. important it is oh, for Ulster to make yeah. massive no, inroads right. right now. You know, these next... I'm, I'm not sure exactly how many games it is between now and the quarterfinal, but I, th- got, I think it's about four or five. Yeah, well, they've got this week, then they've got... Ospreys. Ospreys, they've got Zebra, right. they've got Dragons, and they've got the Kings after the Six Nations, but before the... Yeah, they've, they've got to be winning. They've probably got to win all five of those. They're inherently um, winnable games. I think you could drop yeah. the one at Ospreys. Especially when you look at the run that Scarlet's have. Scarlet's yeah. have some pretty tough fixtures. Scarlet's are away to Leinster this weekend. Yeah, so they've if got also, Munster if also, as well, and I think they play Edinburgh possibly in this run as well. I'd be surprised if they didn't. Yeah, <laughs> it, may, it would make sense. Yeah. So, But the thing as well is that you're not talking about coming third in this mini-league. You really need to come second, otherwise you're in that playoff again and mm-hmm. nobody can start their summer holidays until the middle of <laughs> blooming May or something. Just a nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> a um, complete nightmare. So in terms of Ulster's team selection this weekend, it's going to be very different. They're, of course, without Ian Henderson uh, as well on the injury table. Sean Reedy, Marcel could see you. Adam will be happy about that. And, <laughs> right. <laughs> and, um, Billy Burns. So no more tackling the air this weekend at this point. And... Um, uh, as well as that, obviously, without the Ireland contingent, Stockdale, Best, Jordy Murphy, Allison, and Cooney. So, who's left? <laughs> well, that's the thing. Bring, bring having, your boots, you might get a game uh, this week. That's the thing about having all these academy players that uh, have contributed. Uh, there is enough left because you're looking at probably Eric O'Sullivan, Herring, Murr, O'Connor, Treadwell. Back row is where it gets interesting. You probably it talk does because Dylan Carlton and Kyle McNeely both asked about this. Dylan says, with all the injuries, it's looking like a Ross, Timoney, and Greg Jones back row uh, versus Benetton. So who does that leave? You forget for? about Matty Ray. Well, he asked, who does, who does that leave for the? Has Matty Ray game? played since his card? Not for Ulster. Yeah, but he was he was there as. Uh, one of the travelling reserves yeah. for Saturday. It's, just so, fu- it's funny that he hasn't played since that red card. Yeah. So um, do you agree with his uh, with his back row there, Ross Timoney and Greg Jones? Is that who we're going to see? Uh, I think Ma- Ma- Matty Ray, if he or uh, not, if he was he was travelling um, travelling reserve, so he'd probably be close to that. Um, Montgomery, who we saw playing against Leinster, making his debut, yeah. he played unscored in the All Ireland League um, at the weekend. Jordan Levy did play for Malone. He did. Yes. Matty Dalton didn't. Uh, Matty Agnew didn't. So I would put Jordan Levy into that mix, and I think that would be good. Um, probably from an interest point of view, just if we saw a debut, because it's hard to see um, where we're going to see too many more debuts from. Like mm. everyone's already, uh, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> they've already started. Everybody else. The other, I mean. A more left field option would be looking at it with it. This is without having any inside information from the academy coaches, but it, 
it looks to me like in the pecking order that McCann and Allison, two guys that we've seen called up to the Irish under twenties recently, yeah. have almost leapfrogged um, the more senior members of the academy. So. Uh, maybe you could see one of them before going off to the under-20s. And then you've got Marcus Ray as well. So the thing is, like, Ulster have used four back row players, really, this season since Chris Henry and John Day is retired. They've used those four pretty heavily. Yeah. But you've got six or seven players in the academy or on development deals who can all play in the back row. Like, I, so I included Dalton there, who's obviously a lock, who can play... Mm-hmm. Can't play six too, so there are an awful lot of options there. You are always going to lose Murphy. It's unfortunate to lose Katsia. Um but he's played an awful lot. Sean Reedy's played an awful lot. You know, you could have rested these guys anyway. I suppose probably not mm-hmm. in this game. But just to come back, um, where we're talking about the team, then you've got Shanahan, Laurie, Ludic, McCluskey, Cave. Balakun and Little. Balakun and Little. You know, that's a de- that's a yeah. team that can certainly beat Benetton. Assuming that Benetton don't have all of their Italian internationals. Like, Benetton have 20... Sorry, 18 players in the original to be... Uh, 18 players in the original Italian squad. Another two called up. One pulled out for personal reasons. So presumably he's not going to play... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's not going to play for Tavisso if he's out of the Italian squad for that reason and another two injured so you're talking about if the Italian camp which ends tomorrow which is Wednesday the day that we're, we're recording today um, then Benetton are without 23 players yeah. I mean, Tw- though, 23 Italian look at, looking, looking at their squad you could make a full team out yeah. of the players that are yeah. named in the Italian squad that's the thing now because it's not like you're down to second choice out half because both of their out halves are in the Italian squad. You yeah, know, you're talking about third, you, yeah, third you're choice, literally down to your third, third choice. choice of props. Your entire tied five and backup is in the Italian squad. Mm-hmm. So obviously, it has a huge, huge bearing, and it's one of those where basically, if Conor Roger releases those players, then I think Benetton are going to win because you've got an almost quasi-Italian national side without yeah. Parise and Campagnaro. Yeah, um, playing against what would be pretty much a second string Ulster team. Yeah, yeah. But that team that we that team that we named there still looks pretty good if you're playing against yeah. a shadow Benetton team. Mm-hmm. Well, you mentioned him there, uh, Michael Lowry. Ian Frizzell asks, is he going to get get a start at ten this week? Well, obviously Billy Burns going through their turn to play. Michael did the. Post our press conference yesterday, um, got that notification in. All very excited about that. Might see him get a wee run on ten. It's going to be great. Wasn't, but then, everybody, then you everybody read that they saying that everybody up for uh, interview yesterday was of equal standing, and I had to let you know that don't you dare. Michael <laughs> is above everybody else's standing. See, you have to think about who's going to say something that can be turned into a back page. You know, who's going to say something that really meets to it, and while Laurie. I thought gave a really good interview yesterday. It was more asking about the general generalities of uh, playing out half compared to fullback and things like that. Right, just just do it again. Whereas Mar- like Marty Moore was it being like, Treviso gave us a reality check last time. 
we know what they're about this time and you're like fantastic that, that'll do grand for my <laughs> four powers yeah. in the back page this, this is the perfect opportunity for Larry to put a marker down as a fly half mm-hmm. because yeah. he's already impressed as a fullback but we all know that he's better at 10 and he wants to play 10 as much as he says he's happy playing wherever I think he really does want to play 10 and with McPhillips out injured and um, I, I'm inclined to believe that they were going to give Burns a rest this week anyway because he has still played a lot yeah. of rugby. So, you know, th- this is a chance to come in, um, run the line the way that we've seen him do whenever he was playing for Enst. Um, he's got a very experienced operator inside him in uh, McCluskey. Shannon has come on leaps and bounds this year, so I'd say that he's a fairly safe bet inside him now as well. No excuses for him not to sort of put his stamp on the game and really control it the way he can. Um, and it could be the start of him trying to break into that team because we all know that Bur- Burns shows flashes of brilliance and he's shown flashes of being a really, really good fly half. But he ha- on the whole, he still hasn't been completely convincing. So that 10 shirt is still up for grabs. So breaking news, just as we record the podcast here, um, Ulster have released a statement to confirm that following a robust investigation into the allegations of abuse directed at Simon Zebo during uh, Ulster's game against Racing 92, uh, Ulster has sanctioned a lifetime ban on a spectator for breaching the stadium regulations. Um, they also thank many supporters who provided information to assist the investigation and are very, it also say they're very proud of their reputation as an inclusive club and the unacceptable behaviour of this one individual is not reflective of the Ulster supporters or the values of the club and they also confirm that they've written uh, they've issued a written apology to Simon Zebo and to Racing 92 so um, it's good to see some action being taken on that and uh, quickly as well yeah, I mean, I think we've probably on here criticised before how certain things have been handled, but you can't have any complaints about this. I think Ulster undertook, whenever Ulster became aware that they had to undertake an investigation, they did so. They had Dan McFarlane come out and appeal for information. Lots of people on the back of that obviously came forward with information, as well as people before that. Um had heard they've quickly identified the person they've sent the apology to Simon Zebo. I know Johnny Petrie, the new CEO, was also in touch with Simon Zebo. So, as unsavory an incident as this was from one person, um, I think Ulster have dealt with it, dealt with it mm-hmm. properly and, and swiftly as well, as you say, is the main thing. Yeah, yeah. there's no, no room for it in the game whatsoever. So, Absolutely no, t- no tolerance policy should yeah. be issued, and it has been. Yeah. So, is this game going to go ahead? By the way, this uh, snow looks fairly oh, apocalyptic. Oh, well, it has started snowing. I think I need to go home right now to get up over the mountain. This is um, yeah, this is not good. What there is plenty of room for in this week's paper and in every week's paper from now on is Chris Henry's call, brand new call, started in today's paper in the Belfast Telegraph. Tell us a little bit about it, John. Yeah, I'm delighted, I must say. It's been something that I've um, wanted to get in for a long time. I thought there was a real um, a real sort of gap in the market for a column. And then whenever Chris retired, when you're thinking about Ulster and Ireland, then you've got somebody who, I suppose, has been a teammate of everybody currently playing for Ulster, apart from Aidan Nagel. He's worked under the coach. Mm-hmm. He's been there for so long. He's worked under Joe Schmidt with Ireland. Um, 
So that would be a really good chance to get a great insight that um, you wouldn't be getting anywhere else from from a column from someone who has played so long for Ulster and done so so successfully as well. So I think it'll be a really really good addition to the paper, and um, especially from today, even the first one, I thought uh, I found it really interesting. Yeah, it was very interesting, particularly uh, in the the lead piece today, which was just about Dan McFarland and the impact he's had on the squad. Just a really good. Uh, insight into what actually happens and the differences that, that he's made there yeah because I think we've sort of talked before on the podcast about how we can get caught up sometimes in the week to week of uh, game to game to game to game without sort of looking at the bigger picture but if you look at the bigger picture of what Dan's been able to do in in a short amount of time um, leading into uh, the quarter final that they've now got themselves into for the first time in five years and like Ian Henderson spoke about it in yesterday's paper as well like an awful lot of the credit has to go to Dan McFarland and the thing for me as well about him is the selections he spoke the other day about his selection and it was something that I find really interesting where he spoke about rotation and how he doesn't want to use rotation because he wants everybody in every game to have earned the jersey and that's something that I don't think we've seen in past years. I think we've seen rotation for the sake of rotation. And for him to come in and say everyone has to earn their spot. And then for so many academy players to have earned their spot on the back of that. It has been something that's really, really encouraging. And it's very early days. But I think Ulster can be very confident that after something of a coaching carousel the last number of years, that they've got the right man to lead them in mm-hmm. absolutely even just in terms of the the scenes after the game at the weekend it just does sort of feel like everybody's pulled in the same direction yeah well that, like that was exactly the phrase that uh, I mean Chris used in his column but that's something that Dom was really able to do and I don't think that should go unnoticed especially at any stage but especially in light of everything that went wrong last year and how there were so many times where, as an organisation, it felt like different parts of it were pulling in different directions. And even that audio that we had from Handy earlier saying that, you know, he didn't want to be there in Wasps last year. And he may have meant didn't want to be there once it became obvious that they weren't winning the game or something. Mm-hmm. But, you know, um, I think it has been a big thing. And to get that, I suppose, clean break that they got from from the past with, Dan and um, I suppose even Johnny Petrie as well having that there's no there's no real sort of pride in authorship anymore so there was a willingness to sort of clean house and in terms of the players as well such huge turnover and things feel it feels like Dan has been able to bring in a fresh start which there were an awful lot of times last year when things felt Mm so negative around around the club that I didn't think that was going to be able to be done as quickly. There's also a great story in Chris's column this week about a previous visit of Treviso to Belfast and how uh, a, a former coach got a little bit mixed up with the story, uh, with the score, so it was pretty funny. But the question everybody, I think, wants to know about Chris Henry is can we expect him on the podcast, given his new association with the Belfast <laughs> Well, I mean, hopefully, obviously... Uh Chris has a five-week-old baby or a six-week-old baby at the minute, so um, things are a bit hectic. Th- th- things are a bit hectic around the Henry household, and um, but 
De- definitely will. We'll, uh, we'll try and get them on at some stage. Good. So, listener questions time, as you listener will hope, will hopefully not know because you're having so much fun, but time is ticking on, believe it or not. A few listener questions, though. Donald O'Reilly, of course. Uh, he asked this week, Sean Cronin became joint top try score level with Stockdale uh, in the European Champions Cup, SCB means. Um, pressure will no doubt be on Rory Best again as the Six Nations approaches. Given how many of Cronin's tries have come from a train like Leinster Mall, how close or far behind best do you think he is? Everywhere you look, you see people trying to... I'm not saying Donald's doing this, but you see people saying that best isn't cut out for Ireland anymore. But I, you look beyond the stats for Rory Best because you look at that turnover... I to that, watch the games. Yeah. <laughs> not but that you, I'm saying Donald wasn't watching no, the games. To be fair, you then... Uh, Dick sent another tweet in just saying about how the stats didn't look great for Rory, but when yeah. you've seen the level of the contributions that were made, it was no, pivotal. The, the line-out didn't go well at the weekend, and Rory will be the first person to say that it didn't go well. The, the Ulster team will be the first to say that it didn't go well. But you look at that turnover that he and Jordy made with about five minutes to go, you look at his ability to pilot them all so well, it wasn't him who scored, but he was right there in the thick of things. Uh, you look at his contribution around the pitch, I don't have the stats to hand, but I know he made double figures and tackles, I believe. Um, so, you know, like, Rory, in terms of what he brings, in terms of leadership, in terms of ability on the pitch, sure, Cronin's the better ball carrier, and sure, Cronin gets over from the back of malls maybe a bit more than Rory does but Rory in terms of all-around play and the fact that he is the person who sort of brings teams together he just has that leadership ability that you know you, you've seen from the likes of Johan Muller and from uh, Paul O'Connell you know he, he has that ability just to bring a group of people together um, and lead them to Grand Slams to wins over the All Blacks you know Rory Best is Ireland's starting hooker and as long as he's still playing and still donning that white scrum cap every week, Rory Best is your starting hooker for Ireland. Fair, fair. Um, another question which links on uh, very well to that one comes in from David Jackson here. He uh, says that we're starting to see some contract announcements from other teams. So have we any gossip on any current players uh, that are signing new contracts? And he says, cough, could say cough. Or players from further afield. Get and rid I'm, of them. I'm going, to say, I'm going to say cough, Rory Best, cough, because obviously he's out of contract then after the World Cup. Any any news on any fronts? It's nothing that's like weighty enough to uh, to say with anything anything definitive, but it would appear... I'm excited, is what you're going to say? No, don't be, don't be excited. <laughs> the only person that'll be excited would be Adam. Um, the news, the the news, or the the murmurs, I could say, are, are aren't positive at present. Um, in terms of staying beyond his contract, but you mentioned Rory Best there, and I think that's. Are we just gonna leave that there? But could say, is that it? Well, it's not really a story. It's just like the whispers are that yeah. he's obviously wants to play for the Springboks. Okay. He's got an awful lot more chance doing that in South Africa. Yeah. Um, well, it, so his only chance of doing that is in South Africa. He doesn't qualify for what is their 30 cap threshold, I think, I think yeah, it is. He's he, too short or three okay. short, but I think yeah. if, if Razzie wanted to call him up, he would because Razzie plays by his own rules. <laughs> um, but... Okay. Um, 
And I suppose from the Ulster perspective, you have to weigh it up of he's been very, very good, brilliant this season, but he's been injured for the past two seasons. So it is a gamble when you're talking about a player who quite rightly commands that amount of wage, which is all points Adam made a while ago whenever we were more excited about the possibility that he might stay, but I wouldn't hold my breath on him. And then nice to see you've come around to my way. Of <laughs> I haven't come around to your way of thinking. I disagree with what um, I'm hearing the perceived no, thinking look, is. Look, if the, I've said all along, if it wasn't about the money, Kutsia, you'd gladly have him stay because he has been so good in that back row, and he has been. Uh, he's really added so much to this team this year, and uh, you cannot deny that. But at the same time, he's on such a big wage for someone who has had injury problems in the previous few years and does harbour ambitions of wanting to play for the Springboks. I think that when you say about the money there, the money's interesting because that obviously links into Rory Best. Now, Rory Best is currently a centrally contracted player, but he will not be playing for Ireland beyond the World Cup. But at this stage... Can anyone make the argument that Rory Best isn't making Ulster a better team? I mean... If you can, quick, get in contact. <laughs> Answers on a postcard, please, and we will tear it up and throw it into a fire. Because you're getting to a stage where you really have to explore the possibility... or So you're getting to a time where you really have to explore the possibility of how interested Rory Best is in staying on to play for Ulster beyond the World Cup. Because... Obviously, he would then be added to your wage bill rather than being yeah. paid for by the RFU. So it's going to cost a substantial amount of money. But he's been so important for Ulster and is still so important for Ulster. Like People talked about the lineouts on Saturday, but the thing for me that was bigger, because like in Welford Road, the coach's box is, or the coach's bench, I suppose, is right behind where the press row is. So... You could hear Jared Payne the whole way through the game. Like I think I heard Jared Payne speak more in that game than I have done in five years worth of <laughs> interviewing him. I'm not gonna lie, you could probably hear Jared Payne from Belfast. He was screaming that loudly <laughs> yeah. during the game. But so much of it was like at Rory Best uh, or encouraging Rory Best at the breakdown. And it really made you think about just how often Rory Best was the first man to the breakdown. Like he um he got rocked out of it so often. Um, obviously because um, being the first man there and he had two two men rocking him out of it but the effect that that has in slowing up the opposition ball he's just, like he genuinely is just unbelievable at the breakdown and that's all that has been his MO the whole way through his career like Adam mentions Cronin and he's never going to carry the ball like Cronin but what he gives you at the breakdown what he gives you in terms of leadership um it's something that in a year's, t- you know, sat this time next year, would Ulster be as good a team if they were to lose Katsia and Best? Mm-hmm. Like, those would be two big, big losses. Mm-hmm. And, like, if you're thinking about it, we spoke about this before, like, Best might only, <laughs> if Best were to retire after the World Cup, there, there only is likely to be one more game for him in. Belfast with that Leinster game because he's not going to play during the Six Nations. He's not going to play the game between the Six Nations and the quarter final. And the games after that are, are Edinburgh away, Glasgow away, 
And then the Leinster home game. Yeah. So, so bad the tickets for that Leinster home game because it might be our best last game for us. And they're not getting any games for Ulster before the World Cup next season? No. Right. The, they're, uh, they're away to Japan yeah. before the, yeah, the Pro uh, 14 season Pro 14 starts. starts a wee bit later than four years ago. And yeah. then I think the Ireland warm-ups, if I'm correct, start the 8th of August. Yes. So the, uh, so they, yeah. they, go, they go for an Ireland training camp. Then they go play the warm-ups with Ireland. Then yeah. the, do they have a little bit of time before yeah, they yeah. then reconvene and head off to Japan? So, mm-hmm. um, also just sorry, just to get back to the actual question, when can we expect some contract yeah. news? Um, again, the, this is without any insider knowledge, but you'd expect there'd be something coming, maybe next week or the following week. Ulster, yeah, you certainly expect something next week. Ulster do tend to like to wait until after sort of this block of fixtures is over, yeah. and it's it's strange this year because. There's an extra Pro 14 game after the Champions Cup games. Usually, it would be after the Champions Cup games. You know, everyone goes away to the Six Nations, and you have a bit of a bit of a break. But there's a game this week. We you'd, all get a bit of a break. Not this year. <laughs> <laughs> so you'd imagine there there might be something next week, if yeah. not probably the week after that. Um, that's pretty much it for listener questions this week, considering the time. But uh, we will now move on to the clubs. Yeah, uh, all Ireland League was back last week in Division 1B. Malone are back top of the table as they defeated Balna Hinch 15-8 at Gibson Park. They're tied at the top by Old Wesley on 28 points. Banbridge are two points behind in fourth after they defeated City of Armagh 32-15 at the Palace Grounds. That result drops Armagh to fifth, a point further back. Tied with Balna Hinch who are sixth on points difference. And it was a bad weekend for Balamina, who dropped back to bottom of the table as they lost 2016 at home to Buccaneers, who go above them on points difference. Both sides have 19 points. In Division 2A, Queen's closed the gap to fourth place UL Bohemians to just a point as they defeated Dolphin 31-5 at the dub. However, they are still 21 points adrift of runaway leaders Highfield. In Division 2B, Rainy Old Boys are now 19 points behind leaders MU Barnhall after they were beaten 26-3 by Dungannon at Stevenson Park. However, they do still stay third and have a three-point cushion over fifth-place Sligo in the playoff race, while Dungannon move up to eighth with the win. However, Belfast Harlequins have fallen to the bottom of the table and are three points behind ninth-place Sunday as well after they were beaten 22-12 at home by Sligo. And in Division 2C, Oma Akis are steadily climbing the table. They're up into third after a 25-18 victory over Bangor at the weekend. They're nine points off leaders Balana, who defeated City of Derry 39-10. Bangor remains sixth, ten points adrift off the playoff places, while City of Derry lie eighth, six points above bottom side C point. And in the All-Ireland Women's Shield... Cook progressed to the semi-finals with a 59-0 win over Balna Hinch, while Malone were beaten in their quarter-final by Tralee 24-5. So looking ahead to this week in the All-Ireland League in Division 1B, the only Ulster derby across the four divisions comes from Ballymacarn Park, where Balna Hinch take on bottom side Ballymena. There's a meeting of the league's top two sides as Malone go to Donnybrook, or Energia Park as it's now better known, to take on Old Wesley. Bambridge are at home against St Mary's College and City of Armagh are away at Nace. In Division 2A, Queen's face a very difficult away trip to second place Cashel. In Division 2B, Rainy Old Boys host 9th place Sundays Well at Hattrick Park. Then Gannon travel to second place Greystones and Belfast Harlequins are also away there at Scarries. 
In Division 2C, Bangor hosts topside Ballina. Oma Ackies are on the road to bottom side Seapoint, while City of Derry are back at home against second place Middleton. And the All-Ireland Women's League returns this weekend. Cook are back in action as they face third-placed Old Belvedere at Anglesey Road on Saturday at 5pm. All the men's games kick off at half past two as usual. And the Ulster kick-off on Friday night means you boys have no Ulster uh, duty on Saturday, taking any club action. Um, I'm say schools, I haven't said it anywhere yet. I think I'm going to go to a schools game. Um, quite possibly Regent against Bangor, I think. I'm hoping to get in one of both, but um, I don't know where yet. I haven't decided. But yeah, sorry, yeah, the, school, the Danske Bank Schools Cup is this weekend. Should have... It uh, should have continued oh, straight fine. on to those uh, fixtures for this weekend. I read out the fixtures last week. If they want them, listen to the end of last week's podcast. We read them all out last week, so it's fine. What we're doing... We're running way over. We are, yeah. <laughs> but we will uh, we'll have um, all the news of all the results on that on the website on Saturday, and then Sunday 11th and Sunday, Belfast Telegraph on Monday. And then on Monday morning is the draw then for the next round, fourth round. Thank the you. fourth round, which fourth is where all, all the big teams come exactly. in, your Wallaces, your Inst, Methodies. Uh, Wallaces or Walleye, not sure what the plural of Wallaces. But um, <laughs> we will have a live uh, blog of... The draw for that on Monday morning. So do tune into that on the website and of course the live blog from the Elster match on Friday night as always with Adam. Speaking of Adam, from him. <laughs> Thanks guys. And from John and Bradley. Cheers, thank you. And myself, Gareth Hannah. Thanks for listening.